Well, for many people, the Bible feels a little bit like brain surgery. You know, it's something that's best left for the experts. For a lot of people, the Bible feels just too complex, too difficult to understand, too inaccessible, too daunting. Why is that? Well, for starters, I'm sure it hasn't escaped your attention that the Bible is a big book. (laughs) In fact, a very, very big book. Uh, This particular one that I have in my hands here has almost 2,000 pages in it. It's a huge book. Quick look at the table of contents shows that, uh, in fact, rather than being just one single book, the Bible contains what? Well, 66 books. 66 books written by lots of different people. 66 books that were written over a huge period of time, some one and a half thousand years. 66 books written in all kinds of literary styles, from history to poetry to prophecy to apocalyptic to wisdom literature to the Gospels. And so in the end, opening up the Bible can feel a little bit like like walking into a huge library somewhere filled with all these books, uh, essentially unrelated books, and most of which have no relevance to me in my own life. I mean, who really cares if a group of people a long time ago were were told not to eat prawns? (laughs) I'm just glad I wasn't one of them. And what about all those, you know, the lists of names in the Bible, the list with all those unpronounceable names that go on and on and on and on? A bit like reading the phone book sometimes, isn't it? I mean, what have they got to do with anything? Especially what have they got to do with me? And so for many people, the Bible on the most part feels overwhelming, inaccessible, irrelevant, daunting, something that is, well, best left for the experts. Well, friend, if the Bible has ever made you feel that way, then I'm really glad that you're here this morning because this morning we begin a 10-week series that will attempt to help us to see that the Bible, and I mean all of the Bible, really is accessible and relevant to each and every one of us. And the key, we'll see, is understanding that the Bible has a storyline. Okay, The Bible has a storyline. Here, let me see if I can explain. At this point, uh, the Bible is a little bit like a movie. Okay? Now, a movie has a storyline, doesn't it? It's got a story with, with, a, with a beginning and a middle and an end. And as we watch a movie, well, we, we see that s- story unfolding in front of us, don't we? Well, it's the same with the Bible. It, too, has this storyline It too has a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. A story that weaves its way through all 66 books. Now when it comes to watching a movie, there's a type of person that really annoys me. This is the type of person that comes in halfway through the movie. You know, you've been watching this movie from the very beginning. You've seen everything that's happened. But this other person comes in halfway through, sits down beside you and starts watching too. And sure enough, before too long, what happens? The questions start, don't they? You know, like, who's that? Why has he got that gun? Why is 
there a horse head in the bed? <laughs> this movie doesn't make any sense at all. It's a stupid movie. Let, let's, go, let's go play Scrabble. Do you know the sort of person that I'm talking about? Let's not mention any names here, okay? The sort of annoying person that I'm talking about here. Friend, I hate to say it, but when it comes to the Bible, I think that often we're that annoying person. Often we open up the Bible, we start reading, and the details don't make any sense to us at all, and we get bored and we get frustrated, and before long we close it up and we go on and play Scrabble. But friend, we need to see that the problem at that point is not a problem with the Bible. The problem is that we have forgotten that what it is that we're reading there is actually part of a storyline where there's all this stuff that's already happened before it that helps explain what's going on right there in front of us. And so when it comes to the Bible, we have to work hard at not being like that annoying moviegoer. As we open up the Bible and read from it, we've got to keep in mind how what we're reading fits into the Bible storyline. And it's this storyline that we're going to be thinking about over the next 10 weeks. You might see that I've given this sermon series the title, uh, The Bible Storyline Project. And that's because over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be exploring together this storyline that runs through the Bible. Now, of course, as we do that, we're not going to try and uh, look at every aspect of the Bible in detail. Now, if we were to try and do that, we would be here a lot longer than 10 weeks, trust me. Now, all we're going to be trying to do is, is think about the, the 10 major plot developments that we see in the Bible storyline. That means that lots of people, lots of events, even whole books of the Bible, okay, won't even get a mention over the next 10 weeks. But as we come to understand the big storyline of the Bible, my hope is that later on you'll be able to come back to the Bible and see how all those other details fit in to the big storyline. So, okay, do you see where we're going over the next 10 weeks? See where we're going? Excellent. All right, well, how about we get on with it then, shall we? Let's get started. And as we do, how about we pray? Our Father, we want to pray that as we uh, begin now on this wonderful project of exploring together the great storyline of the Bible, we pray that you would help us to understand it. And we pray that we might stand in awe of you and, and of your goodness to us every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we begin our project this morning by seeing how the Bible's storyline begins. And it begins with part one, creation. Now, if you don't already have your Bible open up in front of you uh, at the book of Genesis, can I encourage you to grab one now, turn with me to Genesis Really easy to find, first book of the Bible. Chapter 2 of Genesis, we'll be reading from verse 4. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. 
The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And so here at the beginning of the Bible storyline, what do we see? We see that God creates. We see that he is the all-powerful God who creates the heavens and the earth. Everything that is seen, everything that is unseen. He's made it all from the subatomic particles to the great galaxies of the universe. God has made it all. But we also see that in the beginning, God created a man, a human being. Obviously a very, very special part of his creation because of all creation, God takes this man and then with his own breath, breathes life into him. His intimate relationship between God and man from the very beginning. A relationship where now God cares for the man and blesses him and, and provides abundantly for him. And one of the ways God shows his care for the man is providing for him a good place to live and work. A garden in a place called Eden. A garden filled with a great diversity of trees that were just so whoa, amazing to look at. Filled with fruit that was just so oh, delicious to eat. And there in the middle of the garden, two special trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Read with me from verse 8. Verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there uh, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you see this garden that God provided for the man. Obviously a beautiful, beautiful place. Lush and, and well watered. In, in fact, in verses 10 to 14, uh, we're told there of how the river that flowed through Eden was actually the source of four other major river systems outside of the garden. You see, that's how magnificent this river through the garden was. It's an amazing place, full of life. So God created the man. And then he put him in this garden and he gave him a special job. The job of looking after the garden, looking after the creation. And then God gave the man just one command. Read with me from verse 15. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from everything any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will surely die what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil well that'll become clearer for us next week uh, but for now just notice that in these verses we see from the very beginning this very clear relational order between God and the man God is the one who commands. The man is the one who is to obey God's commands. 
God is this man's ruler. God is this man's king. But he is the good king. The one who gives this man so much freedom. Freedom to enjoy all the delights of the garden. He can eat from any tree in the garden. Just not that one there in the middle. Hardly the picture of some tyrant God, is it? No, and even that one command that God gives is ultimately given for the man's own good. What did he say? For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So in the beginning, we see this relational order between God and the man, and it's a beautiful picture. Yet there was one thing about the creation that was not good. Did you notice it? The man was all alone. No one to help him in this task of looking after the creation. So God brings the animals before the man and one by one they come to the man and one by one the man names the animals as part of his role in ruling and and taking care of the creation. He names them. But, But none of these animals are found to be suitable as a partner for the man. And so in the end, out of his great concern for the man, God does something about it. He he takes the man, whose name we're now told is, is Adam, he puts him into a deep sleep, and then he takes from him one of his ribs, and out of that rib, he makes a woman. Read with me from verse 18. Verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Well, when Adam sees the woman that God has made for him, he is most impressed. She is just right for him. Now he can share with her a relationship that is so perfect and so close that it can only be described as one flesh. And as Adam now looks his new partner over, they stand before one another completely naked and yet without any, any sense of shame. There is nothing between them. No relational difficulties, no relational awkwardness, Just this complete trust between the two. Read with me these final verses for today from verse 23. The man said, and I guess this this would have to be described as the world's first love poem. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. 
The man and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. So there you go. That's how the the great storyline of the Bible begins. And, And so what do we learn here from part one of the Bible? Well, essentially we learn three things, don't we? Firstly, we learn that there in the beginning, the place where the man and woman lived was perfect, absolutely perfect. The place they lived, this beautiful garden filled with this great diversity of trees, all so beautiful to look at, filled with this most amazing fruit that was so delicious to eat, that amazing river that ran through the middle of it, watering the whole garden and keeping it so lush. And all of it given to this man to care for and to enjoy. Certainly no sense of strain here, is there, in his labours, in his life. Certainly no sense of frustration about this place, no pain here. But a place of pure enjoyment and satisfaction. That's the first thing we learn. The place was perfect. Secondly, we learn that in the beginning the relationship between the people and God was perfect too. That that God who created everything takes this unequaled interest in these frail creatures called man and woman. He breathes life into him with his own breath and he abundantly blesses them giving them alone the special task of looking after the rest of creation whilst always remaining under his good and caring rule. See, God sees these people as so much more than just some interesting collection of chemicals and and electrical impulses, doesn't he? No, here here we see a a picture of a God who deeply desires for these people to have the enjoyment that comes from intimate relationship with him. That's the second thing that we learn. The relationship between the people and God was perfect too. And thirdly, thirdly we learn that in the beginning, the relationship between the man and the woman was perfect too. A perfect partnership in the role of looking after the creation a relationship described uh, so close that it can only be described as one flesh. My goodness, you do not get closer than that, do you? One flesh. A relationship of complete trust where their nakedness doesn't even seem to register for them. A perfect relationship. So what do we see at the beginning of the Bible's storyline? Well, we see this beautiful perfect picture where the land and people's relationship with God and people's relationships with one another all perfect and that's part one of the Bible's storyline but before we finish this morning there is one more thing that I want us to consider Something that we're going to need to consider each and every week as we make our way through the Bible's great storyline. Earlier on, I told you of a type of moviegoer that really annoys me. 
Remember the one that comes in halfway through the movie and you know, doesn't understand what's, what's going on? Well, there's another type of moviegoer that really annoys me. The difference is, this is the type of annoying person that you and I need to be when it comes to reading the Bible. The type of moviegoer that I'm talking about is the one that's already seen the movie. The one who's already seen how the movie ends. You know, the type of person that comes in and sits down beside you and says, don't worry, he's not really dead, he's wearing a bulletproof vest. You know the sort of person I'm talking about, let's not mention any names. Well, friend, when it comes to reading the Bible, we need to become that kind of annoying person. Because it's true, isn't it? When you've seen the end of a movie... You can never watch that same movie again in quite the same way, can you? So, for example, if you've ever seen that movie, The Sixth Sense, have you seen that movie with Bruce Willis? You can't watch that movie a second time in the same way you watched it the first time because you know that big twist that comes at the end when you find out that that character that you've been watching on the screen, that character played by Bruce Willis, you find out at the end, sorry to give this away <laughs> for people if you haven't seen it, but you find out that he's dead. You find out that he's a ghost. It's just that he and, and we as the audience didn't, didn't know that until the end of the movie. And so you, you watch that movie again for the second time and you can't help but think to yourself on the way through, ah, oh, that's why he's wearing the same shirt the whole way through the movie. Ah, oh, that's why people keep ignoring him all the way through. Ah, oh, because he's dead, of course. He's a ghost. Well, it's a bit like that with the Bible too. Because as Christians, we know how the storyline ends, don't we? We know how Jesus, the Son of God, leaves heaven and comes to earth and dies on a cross and is raised to life again so that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal fellowship with God. It is the climax of the Bible storyline there at the end, the climax all about Jesus. And it's this climax that we need to keep in our minds as we work our way through the Bible storyline. That's how we'll make the most sense of each part as we work our way along. So, okay then, spoiler alert. How does Jesus make a difference to our understanding of this first part of the Bible storyline then? The story of creation. Well, I think that our second Bible reading this morning, that, that reading that was all about Jesus, that, that reading from uh, the book of John, chapter 1, reveals a, very, a couple of very, very interesting things for us. First of all, we learn the very interesting fact that Jesus was there in the very beginning and that it was actually Jesus who created all things. Here, read with, me, read with me these verses up on the screen from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus, okay? And the Word, Jesus, was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So those um, subatomic particles made by Jesus, those great galaxies of the universe made by Jesus, 
uh, the, the world and the beautiful garden and, and, and the beautiful trees and, and the, the mighty river that ran through it and, and the great array of animals and the man and the woman and you and me. All made by who? Jesus. We would never have known that without knowing the end of the story, now would we? But wait, there's more. Because remember, there in the beginning, remember God's intense desire that we saw there in Genesis. That, that intense desire of God's for people to be able to enjoy intimate relationship with him. You remember that? Well, you know what? It's really only as we go on to consider Jesus at the end of the story that we really get to see how intense that desire really is. Because at the end of the Bible, we learn how God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, took on flesh and blood like Adam and Eve and became one of us. That he might dwell with us, live with us. And that we might truly know him in all his glory. As it goes on to say in John chapter 1. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's how much the Creator desires relationship with people like you and me. That's how much he longs for us to enjoy all the abundance of, bless of the blessings that come from him. A desire that brought the Creator into the creation and a desire that will lead him all the way to the cross where he would die for you and for me. Wow. See how knowing the end of the story, knowing about Jesus, gives us such a wonderful perspective on what we read earlier on in the Bible? So that's exactly what we'll be doing every week as we continue on this project through the Bible's storyline. But for now, how about we just stop, take a moment, and let's praise God for his amazing power in creating all things. And let's praise him for his amazing love in creating us to have such a special relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear God, we do indeed uh, praise you as the one who has created all things. And yet the one who of all creation has made us human beings to have such a special relationship with you. We thank you that you are the good ruler, the good king, the one who wants the very best for us. And the one who desires to bless us abundantly. Dear God, thank you that we can see just how committed you are to us in the coming of Jesus to dwell among us, to die for us, that we might enjoy relationship with you forever. Our God, we praise you. We pray that we would be forever thankful. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.